0: The following message is from the 2013 IBCD Summer Institute, Churches Equipped to Care. All right, we're going to go ahead and get started because if I don't discipline myself, I just stand in the back and talk with Kurt for the whole session. And then um, let's go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. I want to read one of my favorite passages on adoption. And then we'll pray. So the Apostle Paul begins in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for, uh, for this time that you've given to us to be able to come together and to be under your word and to fellowship with one another and to build one another up. And Father, we do pray for your blessing on this entire weekend. We pray that you would draw near to us. We pray that you'd give us open hearts. Father, we ask that we wouldn't just uh, come to get information, but that we would come for, uh, for ourselves to be changed as well. And so we commit this time to you, and I pray, Lord, that you'd help me and help me, um, help me to say what, um, what I'm supposed to say. And, and, Lord, keep me from saying dumb things. In Jesus' name, amen. My wife wishes I'd pray that prayer more often. <laughs> Uh, I know that when I'm preaching and she's over there and she's like this, that I sh- probably should stop. So Well, um, my name is Brian Borgman. I pastor Grace Community Church in Minden, Nevada. and um, uh, we moved there and planted the church in 1993. And so this is our, our 20th year. And I want to tell you that I love I love adoption. Uh, adoption is absolutely uh, beautiful. It, it reflects our redemption in Christ. And um, as so many have said, uh, adoption is the apex of our redemptive privilege in Christ, right? And so you read a passage like this, God chooses us mm-hmm. and predestines us to adoption as sons. We have the spirit of adoption, Romans chapter 8, and, um, and, and as we look at adoption, we see that adoption is this great, glorious theme. It's redemptive. It's legal. It's relational. And all of those things are, are reflected when we adopt a child. And our church is very, very committed to adoption. We have a ministry called City of Refuge. We take care of unwed pregnant women. Uh, We provide all of their uh, uh, prenatal care. We give them a place to live. Um, We don't take any money from the state. We don't take any money from them. Um, The only thing they have to do for rent is go to church, and they don't necessarily like it, but, um, you know, it works out pretty good for them. Actually, some of them do come to the Lord, and about a third of those babies that are born at City of Refuge are adopted out. Um, We have families in our church that are actively um, uh, adoptive families. Some are, in fact, we have a couple right now that are uh, waiting to uh, be able to go to Eastern Europe to adopt three in an international adoption. We have people that adopt special needs, and then my wife and I also are adoptive parents. Now I'm going to talk in this uh, session and then the one tomorrow morning about the grace and grit of adoption, hope and help for adoptive families. And what I want to tell you is that um, I'm not an expert. Um, I'm actually a, a failure. And the workshop uh, tonight and tomorrow morning is really the result of, <laughs> of repentance and reflection and prayer and some more repentance um, I don't know about you. How many of you are actually adoptive parents? Um, okay. Um, I don't think that, uh, that I'm alone when I say that uh, I'm thrilled with the resurgence of the emphasis in, a, in adoption in our day. But I also don't think I'm alone when I say that if you're an adoptive parent, uh, there is a lot of discouragement not just in the home, but out there. And um, let me just give you an example of what I'm talking about um, in one of the most popular books on adoption, which is wonderful. don't want to demean the book at all. But uh, as I get to the end of this Christian book on adoption, I read these words. The myth of the maladjusted, quote, adopted kid is everywhere present especially among people who don't know many persons who have been adopted. You'll often hear from adopting parents who immediately blame all behavioral and discipline problems on the circumstances of the adoption. Some parents will panic about attachment disorder because the child is mischievous or strong-willed. In the vast majority of cases, however, parents are simply identifying the normal range of differences in children or they're blaming bad behavior on uninformed parenting uh, or uninformed parenting on a syndrome. Uh, they may, there, there may also be factors involved in misbehavior, but the vast majority of instances a child's misbehavior is explained by Genesis, not genes, Eden, not adoption. People speak of rearing, quote, adopted children with hushed tones, raised eyebrows, as though this task is not for the faint of heart. They speak of the trials of, quote, adopted children with all their identity crises and hidden hurts as though one is predestined for misery because of adoption itself. Those people will always be with us. They're the same ones who tell newly married couples how tough marriage is. Once the honeymoon is over, you just wait and see. (laughs) I I tell people all the time in premarital counseling how tough marriage is going to be. They're the ones who tell a newly pregnant woman to get your sleep now because you won't get any for the next 18 years. The reality, though, is that in most ways parenting is just parenting and growing up is just growing up. It's always hard. Some unique challenges go along with adoption, challenges related to finding a sense of belonging, discipline, discipleship, etc. Just count all these joy. Now, the reason that that actually discourages me is because um, this man has adopted children. They're small children. And um, when I read that, um, those words actually make me feel um, guilty because um, it is painful and it is hard. And there are unique challenges in adoption. And to downplay them and say, hey, it's just Genesis and this is just what all kids go through, um, actually puts a burden on adoptive parents that ought not to be there. I'm sure that you perhaps have heard um, well-meaning family members say, you know what, he behaves just fine when he's with us. Why, why are you so hard on him? You're not nearly as hard on Zach as you are Alex. Alex is my adopted son. I have to say, he's my adopted son. If they just say he's my son, you won't know whether he's my natural son. Or... So I'm not, I'm not trying to like categorize him and, and do something naughty. Um, but I've heard that for years. You treat him differently. Why are you so hard on him? Very, very few words of encouragement actually are, are out there. So one of the dilemmas that we face as adoptive families is that there are real real struggles with adoption, and yet the words of encouragement for those struggling actually seem to be very, very minimal. Try to find evangelical books written that deal with the difficulties of adoption. Um, There was an article in the Journal of Biblical Counseling, um, Counseling Your Adopted Child. Uh, There are a few things here and there. But by and large, what we have is a a growing uh, literature that is um, a a romanticized view of adoption, and it's unhelpful at times. Now, I do find comfort in Paul Tripp's words. Um, Tripp says, for all its beauty, adoption also has significant challenges. And then he says, although you're doing a wonderful thing, you must recognize that children were meant to live with their natural parents. When children are raised by those who aren't their natural parents, there will be struggles and difficulties. Parenting an adopted child is often harder than parenting your natural child. Your adopted child deals with significant personal issues that your natural child never has to deal with. And you know what I say? I say, praise the Lord, somebody finally said it. There's a book that I Recommend with Qualification by Sherry Eldridge called 20 Questions that Adopted Children Wish Their Adoptive Parents Knew or something like that. Uh, there's some psycho babble uh, through it, but I will tell you that it is worth reading. She says, Maintaining that the adoptive family is just like any other family is saying that a tree formed through grafting is the same as any other tree. It simply is not. Families formed through adoption have their own set of challenges as well as their own unique beauty. And so in these two workshops, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the grace and the grit of adoption. And I'm basically assuming that we have uh, two kinds of people here, those who have adopted and are struggling, or those who want to adopt or perhaps a third category, those that want to minister to adoptive families. And so here, here's, my, here's the thrust, why grace and grit. Um, over the last few years, I keep getting an increasing number of phone calls and emails asking me about um, tough struggles with adopted children. And, you know, it's, it's again, it's not that, um, you know, I put a shingle up that said, call me, um, <laughs> because believe me, I dread these calls. But one of the th- interesting things that I've noticed over the last number of years is that there are some commonalities, some things that, that, that adoptive parents, Um, have in common in terms of the struggle Uh, there are other things that you just throw up your hands and you say "I, i just i really don't know but here's here's what i found that there are real struggles with adoptive families and they go through them some worse than others some much worse than others and there will be Challenges to one degree or another. Now, I don't think that ultimately it depends on how young the child is when the child is adopted. And, and we can talk about that if we do some, some Q&A time later. But here's, here's the thing, is that whether, whether you have just sort of like ordinary levels of struggle or whether you have um, one of the most challenging times of your life, uh, to ignore it or to treat it with, with doses of super spirituality actually does not help. We have to be um, uh, honest with ourselves and with the people that we deal with because if, if we're not honest about the struggles and the challenges and, and the real trials that we encounter, then actually we end up getting detoured from God's grace. It's it's only in the midst of actually dealing with adoption in terms of reality, not a romanticized view, but in reality that we actually find that there is grace to help in time of need. And so I'm going to tell you, I'll probably be a little politically incorrect about these some of these things. Uh, and if I'm not describing your experience, then you should thank God. Um, and if I uh, am not describing your experience, don't turn around and think, well, you know what these people need is better parenting skills. Okay. By the way, just one one quick word of if you are thinking about adoption, please don't ever do it just out of a sense of wanting the satisfaction of having a child. Okay? Um, you're entering into uh, ministry. Now, that brings us to point one, the grace of adoption, its rescue. Now, Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 4, this great text, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons, because you're sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, therefore you're no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. And as we think about adoption from that angle, Paul makes it very clear that there is something that is redemptive about adoption. When an adoption happens, and this is in the salvific realm, it is a rescue, right? And so one of my favorite definitions of adoption, theological adoption, is by the old Southern Presbyterian, John L. Gerardo. He says, Adoption is an act of God's free grace, whereby for the sake of Christ... He formally translates the regenerate from the family of Satan into his own family and legally confirms them in all of the rights, immunities, and privileges of his children. So when God adopts us, it's an act of rescue, right? That's, that's what redemption is. It is rescue. When, when Christians adopt a child, it reflects, in a sense, that rescue. When we go to adopt a child, most of the time we are being used by God to rescue a child from abuse or neglect or exposure to um, uh, addicts and addictions, um, and, and the list could go on. So when a Christian couple believes that God wants them to actually adopt a child they are being an instrument of rescue now julie smith lau or low in the journal of biblical counseling says adoption is a mirror image of what god does for his people adoption redeems the broken lives of children just as god adopts us and redeems our brokenness and sinfulness and and to that i say Adoption is glorious it's beautiful it's something that is worthy of Christians to devote themselves to and so I applaud the couples in our church that adopt special needs kids. I applaud the couples in our church that are doing international adoptions and let me just um, let me just tip my hand a little bit here. the truth that 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 child has been rescued from something will be a truth that may sustain you and hopefully will sustain you in difficult times. There have been times, and we'll talk more about this probably tomorrow, there have been times where the only redeeming thought has been, where would he be if we hadn't adopted him? Now, that's rescue. Here's the thing. Do not, please, for the sake of your own sanity and sanctification, do not expect your child to overflow with wonder and love and praise because you adopted them. Okay? One of the fundamental problems that we have is that we look at this as an act of rescue And what we think should be the natural response of them to us is this incredible gratitude. I cannot believe that you saved me from a life of utter misery. We have to keep in mind that the parallel of us adopting children breaks down with God's parallel of adopting us at this very point. That adopted child actually had to suffer a loss before they could be rescued. Think about that. They suffered the loss of a biological mother and perhaps father. They suffered a rejection that they will never completely understand. So, the grace of adoption is its this wonderful act of, of rescue that is analogous to our redemption in Christ, The grid of adoption is that adoption is really warfare. And adoption isn't war with the child, although at times it will seem that that's what it is. Adoption is actually war against principalities and powers, Ephesians 6, 10 to 13. Why? Because adoption is is often... a a rescue mission into enemy territory to rescue a child and to bring that child into a loving home under the influence of the gospel. And guess what? The enemy of our souls, Satan, is opposed to that. Uh, Satan would much rather have children live in abusive homes with addicts or in orphanages or being unwanted and neglected and I know that there are wonderful Christian orphanages and I'm not downplaying those, but the enemy of our souls would much rather have them live in darkness than to be removed from that darkness and be brought under the light of the gospel. And so there's, there's always a battle for the heart of our kids, right? There, that's, that's always the case. If you're a parent, you understand there's always a battle for the heart Of your kids. But boy, when it comes to adoption, it is as if you have just gone right into enemy territory and plucked somebody out from Satan's household, where it's winter, but never Christmas, right? And now you brought them under the light and influence of the gospel, and Satan will try to discourage us and sidetrack us. Now, this is war. Uh, Joshua Mack, Dr. Wayne Mack's son, you can read his blog or listen to a message he gave at the um, Together for Adoption conference called, uh, I think it was called Adoption is War. He deals with the lies um, that the enemy often tells, and uh, and I, I commend that to you. But we need to understand that as we are, seeking the uh, act of grace and rescue in the lives of our children, there is now a battle for them. And we, what we don't want to do, and this is, this is one of the hardest lessons that my wife and I have, we have struggled with this. It is so easy for us to sabotage ourselves in the battle. And we sabotage ourselves in the battle by becoming entangled in either the real or perceived misery that we're experiencing. Okay? And, and I do mean misery. I, I have three kids. And I love them. I'd give my life for them. But that third one that God sovereignly placed in our family by His love. At times I have said things and done things and then look in the mirror and say where was Christ in that. And so, if we lose perspective, this is a battle. It's easy for us to spiral into self-pity. It's easy for us to spiral into resentment. And um, I told my wife, hey, I'm going to be doing a couple of uh, workshops on adoption. And she just kind of looked at me and grinned. Uh, Probably glad (laughs) that she wasn't going to be here. Um, But the resentment, there are times where it does, in fact, rise up in your heart and you ask yourself, why? Why? Why did we do this? And in our lowest moments, I would say something as terrible as Why did you do this? So I'm just being honest with you. And if you think, man, you're awful, I'd never go to your church. That's fine. Um, (laughs) um, When we spiral down into self-pity and resentment, then we actually get to the place where we lose significant ground in the battle. And so we need God's wisdom if we're going to maintain a proper perspective and so, a biblically wise perspective keeps us looking past self pity, past personal insults, past the inconveniences. Biblical wisdom will say, "You you can't get stuck in those in those areas. You can't. You get stuck there, and you will sink, and you will sink quickly." Um, I'm probably going to say this another ten times, but. If you adopt going into it thinking that 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 child is going to be filled with gratitude. okay? See, there's I, I believe that we're actually wired in a way that, um, you know, we're supposed to actually give uh, have gratitude towards God, that that should be a, a natural part of what we are as image bearers and. When people express ingratitude to us, in fact, the greater the magnanimity to somebody, the greater the kindness to somebody, when there's no gratitude expressed in return, uh, we feel a personal insult. Well, when you put that in the framework of adoption, it is very, very easy to, to make it a personal thing. And so when we, when we are stuck in that, we've lost sight of the fact that we're in a battle, all right? So we have to keep a warfare mentality and prayerfully guard our hearts, okay? So I want to talk a little bit about applying grace to the grit, and that begins with actually guarding our own hearts. Of course, we all know Proverbs 4, we're to watch over our heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. I would highly recommend Paul Tripp, Age of Opportunity, and... Um, I was in China last March and um, decided I needed to reread it. Now, my, my, my son is going to turn 18 in September. All right? uh, We've had him since he was 20 months old. All right? There has never been a time during his enti- entire childhood uh, going up to adulthood where I've not felt like I need to learn more. I, I need to learn more. I can't stop feeding my mind and my heart on things. And so I don't even know how many times I've gone through age of opportunity. But it was this this last time that just seemed to me to be so striking. This is uh, on page 29. He says, it's a waste of time for us as parents to think about strategies for parenting our teens without first examining ourselves If our hearts are controlled by something other than God, we will not view the golden parenting opportunities of the teen years as opportunities at all. Instead, they will be a constant stream of irritating hassles brought on by an incredibly self-centered person who's neither adult nor child, but who has the uncanny ability to make the even most important moments of our life chaotic. He says, we can't ignore this central issue. I'm deeply persuaded that our idols have caused us to see opportunity as trial and caused us to strike back at our teenagers with bitter words of judgment, accusation, and condemnation, behaving toward them with intolerance and anger while God is calling us to love, accept, forgive, and serve. And we're barely able to be nice. So I think that one of the first things that we have to do is we have to realize that as we're dealing with the difficulties of adoption, we have to start with ourselves. We have to guard our own hearts. And let me just give you a few things that I think are absolutely critical we have to guard against. First of all, we have to guard against a romanticized view of adoption. The romanticized view of adoption focuses on the grace of adoption, (coughs) the beauty of adoption, but ignores... (coughs) the challenges and um, as I mentioned I think that one of our problems is that we have a romanticized view of adoption and you know I mean how can you not watch the blind side and not end up with a romanticized view of adoption I mean here's this here's this kid that moves into the house and he just fits in with part of the family and it's just a great story and he becomes a professional football player I mean how great is that Uh, you know so Um, we have a romanticized view, we have to guard our hearts against that. And so uh, Eldridge makes the comment, she says, I believe that one of the most sacrificial acts of love adoptive parents can do is give up their preconceptions and agenda about what their child's view should be and be open to hear the conflicting emotions and thoughts their child often experiences. One of the things that will absolutely uh, devastate us is if we have a romanticized view of adoption of what this is going to be. You know, I mean, if you bring the baby home, it's exciting. There's something wonderful about it. Um, in Nevada, where I'm from, there's always um, a, a little bit of um, this. Uh, this th- there's a three-day waiting period, okay? And actually, the state has the child with the mother for three days before the adoption uh, is, is finalized. So when we have city of refuge adoptions, that's always like a really, really tense time because, and we've only had one time in almost 20 years where a mother changed her mind, all right? But sometimes we have this idea, you know, um, when, the, when the social worker brought Alex, you know, here was this 20-month-old, absolutely beautiful, blonde-haired, blue-eyed little action figure. You know, he's always been like this little muscly, like, act, like G.I. Joe, you know. And, um, and he was so sweet for that first week, and we couldn't believe it. We couldn't figure out how in the world did he go through four foster homes in six weeks? This kid's almost perfect. Well, then the second week happened. and we were wondering do we need to lay hands on him anoint him with oil you know i mean what do we need to do here and uh, one of the things that we often think is that is that this child's going to come right into the home is going to adapt wonderfully and things are going to be great and and we're going to be a happy happy family and that's just a romanticized view of adoption and it's not helpful it's not helpful we also need to uh, guard our hearts against the idol of the perfect family. Remember, years ago, read uh, Jay Adams. Um, what was Jay Adams' book on the Christian family? What's that? The Christian Home. The Christian Home. Yeah, and he says something in there that I've used in, in premarital counseling. I've used it in wedding sermons. I've used, and that is this. Okay, uh, you got two sinners that get married right and the only the only kind of people that live in a christian home are sinners right well here's the reality we know that in in one sense family life is always messy right i mean have you come to that realization marriage marriage is messy family life is messy parenting is messy nothing and and yet and yet we continue and and i hope this is not uh, overly offensive we continue to read books that hold up a Victorian view of the family as the ideal family. We continue to gravitate towards ministries that, that create uh, the illusion of a perfect family. And um, there was a man in our church, and um, he, he, this guy's a mess, his wife's a mess, his kids are a mess. And yet he reads all the right books. They do, I mean, you know, they do all the right things. They homeschool, they bake their own bread, they take vitamins, you know. I mean, they grow their own vegetables. And so um one day, one day he comes up to me and he is he is distraught. And I had noticed that he was talking with another dad during lunchtime, and he came up to me and in the most distraught tone, he said, Pastor, he says, I don't get it. I don't get it. Help me. We we read all the books from this ministry. We try to do everything right. And that family doesn't do half of what we do. And they're happy. And we're miserable. That's just bondage. That's just bondage. Yeah, that's just bondage. Um, the idol of a perfect family is bad enough in and of itself <laughs> hang on to that idol and then adopt and see what happens okay <laughs> you know there there is going to be um just tough times and your family is not going to look like like the cover of the book and uh, I, I think i'll share this story tomorrow but um We had to call 911 one day. Well, I live on a cul-de-sac. Two doors to our right are charter members that have been in our church for 20 years. To my left, two doors down, is a couple that's been in our church for 15 years. Up the street is another couple. Guess what? In a cul-de-sac, everybody knows when the cops show up. Okay? When I told Ariel to dial 911, there was a flash that went through my mind that went like this. How am I going to explain this to my neighbors? And then thankfully, by God's grace, the next thought was, who cares? Who cares? We need help. All right. So you have to actually just crush this uh, idol of the perfect family. Also, we have to guard our hearts against the idol of domestic peace and quiet. All right? Now, this is my particular problem. Um, You know, my brother Kurt back there, he knows what it is to work all day and work hard, you know, studying the Word. And, you know, you may have a couple of counseling appointments. And, man, one of those was maybe really draining and it was scheduled for an hour and it went two and a half and and and, and you go home and, and you know what you want to do? You want to sit down in your lazy boy, have dinner brought to you and just watch the Giants game. Okay? Now I know you guys probably are more depraved and like to watch the Padres, but I mean, you know, and, and that's that's what I want. That's what I, you're you're looking forward to and then you get home and the very first thing that happens is my dear wife says, I hate to do this to you. I have grown to hate those words. I hate to do this to you because I know exactly what's going to happen. I know exactly. And the thing is, is that it doesn't just happen a few times a month. There was a period up until about a year and a half ago that it happened Every single day. Every day. Every day. And so, the idea of having peace and quiet. And um, we have to watch ourselves. We have to watch ourselves. Um, because adoption um, children expose what 's in our hearts right you you, you want to you know th- there's this there's this uh these stages that you can go through into finding out how depraved you really are. The first is you get married right and then you go wow i 'm a selfish pig then <laughs> then you have <laughs> then you have children and then you really start realizing boy you know i'm i 'm impatient i'm irritable i mean children just bring out. You know, the stuff that's in our hearts. Well, then adopt. And you'll realize that there's probably stuff in in your heart that you didn't even know was there. So, guard your own hearts. Secondly, help your children through grace. Now, this this is so important, and this is something that has helped... Uh, my wife and me, especially over the last year, year and a half. That, that's how slow we are. He's almost 18. All right? That's how slow we are. When, when I say help your child through grace, what, what that means is that there is a, a transformation of the mind that takes place to where you're looking at this child no longer as an enemy, no longer as a disruptor. Um, Years and years ago, when Alex was about four years old, we had a visiting pastor come that I have just a tremendous amount of respect for, and he gave Alex the nickname the Tribulator. Well, it just stuck. You know, it just stuck. And uh, he'd call and say, hey, how's the Tribulator? And I was like... I don't know. I send them to your house. That's you. you can answer it for yourself, you know. And um, you know, when, when when kids are little, it's easy to just kind of serve them and pour your hearts out to them. But you know, they start to get older and they, and they want to be more independent, and those struggles start. Well, when you've got that adopted child, you have to look at this as th- this is ministry, and this is this is ultimately. Uh, Bob said it tonight. This is not about me. And, and, And in a sense, it's not even ultimately about the child. It's about the child more than it is me. But ultimately, it's about Christ and how I honor Christ. And so serving our children, helping our children through grace. Listen to Paul Tripp again. He says, your struggles with your adopted child will not always be the result of your mistakes. Sometimes your struggles will stem from inherent differences in the hardwiring of your child. Those differences will require different parenting strategies from the ones you use with your natural children. I will tell you that that was that was liberating to me because um, I had um, Ariel and I both had worked really hard on making sure that we were biblical in our parenting okay and um, you know we we would read i love I love our dear brother uh, Bruce Ray, withhold not correction, I wore it out, I wore it out spanking my kids with it, all right I mean, I was just you know and shepherding a child 's heart and um, and all 98 of Al Martin's sermons on how not to foul up the raising of your children. All right. So, so I mean, I, we had this stuff down, right? And, and so the first one comes along. She's wonderfully compliant. Um, uh, you, you can't say anything because um, she hasn't made an announcement yet. But uh, she's going to have a baby. Okay. I'm so excited. They got married a year and a, 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 year and a half ago. On New Year's or Christmas Eve, and now I'm going to be a grandpa, like in February, and so I am, I am so excited. I can't see straight. But we have this, we have this, this, this girl, and she's just like, you know, I know she's a sinner, but you know, it was just like, okay, I can think of three times. Yeah, I mean, she's just, just wonderful, right? Then we have this boy, and then we go, oh, wow, boys are different than girls, that's for sure. You know, this kid, you know, he had to spank him like after we was thrown from the hospital after six days, you know. <laughs> and, um, but, but he was always respectful. And although v- misbehaved very badly, frequently, responded to discipline, responded to, always respectful. And then we had our adopted son. I did everything I was supposed to do. I did everything the books said to do. In fact, um, my wife and and two sons are in Riverside right now at the Riverside Youth Conference. Alex was probably about six years old. He stayed with some friends. He and I stayed with some friends uh, in Riverside while... Older sibling went to youth conference with mom, and um, I gave him the spanking of his life. In fact, it became known as the Riverside spanking. I'd say, "Do you want me to give you a Riverside spanking?" All right, and you know, you're thinking, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna destroy my rotator cuff." What's wrong with this kid? Why won't he cry? Why, why when I go, you know, I hug the first two after discipline and they're in tears and they're, you know, I love you, Daddy, and I go to hug him and he's just, you know, and um, did, did I not actually spank him enough to make him? What's wrong with this kid? I'm doing everything I know I'm supposed to do. I've got a whacker with his name on it. It's his own special whacker. Sometimes different strategies will be required. Now, my problem is, is that I feel like if I don't do certain things, I must be compromising. If I don't, if I don't do certain things, I must be qu- cutting biblical corners. Am I being unfaithful? And I would, I would actually just, I would beg you, if you're, if you're struggling with this, to just think through the fact that there may be issues in the heart of that child. That you will never understand. They may never understand and a different strategy is what is necessary remember things about your kids remember they're made in the image and likeness of God remember they're fallen but remember also the reality of being adopted will affect them to one degree or another one of the one of the worst things we can do is hide that fact from them they know you go well I we brought him home from the hospital they know they may not be able to articulate adoption but there's something different there's something that is out of place and so the reality of adoption is going to affect a child from one degree or another. Uh, I read a, a case this last uh, week before last of, uh, of a girl that was brought home from the hospital. Uh, birth mom gave birth, adoptive mom, and dad brought her home from the hospital. Straight-A student, wonderfully compliant, until she was 13. And then at 13, started cutting herself, became anorexic, and and everything fell apart. And once she started getting help after putting her parents through uh, this trial, um, she was able to tell her parents, I love you, but I've always known there was something wrong. I know a family... Adopted a little boy and a little girl, very, very young, decided we, we want them to feel like they're apart. We're not going to say anything. Well, at age 11, of course, neither one looked like mom or dad, you know. At age 11, they're in the garage and they start looking through file boxes and find adoption papers. Those kids are eighteen and nineteen and mom just told them. And they said, We've already known. Okay. So when we when we when we try to help our kids, we need to remember what they need from us is they need love, they need grace. And one of the things that we need to do is we need to try to think like they do. Okay? This, now, this, this may be well nigh impossible, but you at least need to make the effort. Think like they do. The first step is simply to keep in mind some of their perspectives. Now, what is the golden rule, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12? We are actually to do to others as we would have them do to us, right? What do you want? You want people to understand you, don't you? Do, do you like being misunderstood? Do you like somebody else thinking that they already know what you're thinking and therefore they, you don't, they don't need to ask you? No. Actually, I want to be understood. So if if I have such a strong desire to be understood, guess what that child has a desire for? We all want to be understood. And so keep in mind that child has certain perspectives that will not ever register with you. Ever. Rosaria Butterfield, uh, she wrote Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. She was the Syracuse professor, English professor who was a lesbian and, and came to Christ. Absolutely fabulous book, but probably one of the most important things I've ever read on adoption actually came from her book, which is not on adoption, but they've adopted. She says this, no child asks to be adopted, No child asks for incompetent or rejecting birth parents. No child wants to be told how lucky he is to be adopted. Adoption always starts with a loss. Adoption always combines ambiguous loss with unrequested gain. Did you get that? Adoption always combines ambiguous loss with unrequested gain. An adopted child faces this paradox, this ambiguous grief at every developmental stage. His or her family must choose to either welcome the complexity or make the child go it alone. That sentence is incredibly important. Mom and dad and, in a sense, the entire family must choose to either welcome the complexity of that, and if they don't, they are, in a sense, forcing that child to go at that complexity all by themselves. She says we choose to walk alongside our children even when we don't understand how deep or how raw the complexity rests. The journey is frightful. At its core is this. Do I love Jesus enough to face my children's potential rejection of me? So our children will know they're different. They'll look different. They'll, <laughs> they will feel, no matter what you tell them, that you treat them differently. Okay? Zach doesn't get in as much trouble as I do. Well, you know what? That is a fact. <laughs> <laughs> So, remember, you know this from your counseling training. We are all, we're social beings and we're interpreters, right? That's true of adopted children. They're interpreters. But that adoptive element complicates the way they interpret, all right? And so, um, trying to think like them, um, let's see. Uh, I'll skip uh, that and maybe bring it up tomorrow. So try to think like them. Run the situations of life through their interpretive grid. What does Paul say? As the elect of God, beloved, put on a heart of compassion. Okay? So this takes patience on our part. Why? Because it's really easy especially if we're Christians, we know our Bibles, and especially if we have a little bit of counseling training, it's easy for us to jump into correction mode with the adopted child, the fix-it mode. Without ever taking time to ask this question, how do they see this situation? Why are they acting this way? What is behind it? And so, let's say... That little 10-year-old boy got the puppy on his 10th birthday that he has asked for for years. And he's sitting there looking sad. I want to say, what do you look so sad for? You just got a dog. Did it ever occur to me? That maybe he's sitting there thinking, I wonder if my birth mom remembers it's my birthday. So we tell Alex, hey, go put your pajamas on, clean your room, and then go brush your teeth and then come back for family worship. Okay? Is that easy? What did I just tell him? Go put your pajamas on, right? Go clean up your room, go brush your teeth, and then come out for family worship. That's not hard. 20 minutes later, where is he? Walk in the bathroom. He's standing on his little step stool with his toothbrush, sprinkling the mirror with his toothbrush. And I'm like, that disobedient kid. I, what I told him was really simple. And then we go to a seminar on fetal alcohol syndrome because we know Alex's mom drank through the entirety of her pregnancy. And we find out that what happens is that as that alcohol goes through the bloodstream, it is like a solvent that delays the development of the frontal lobes and one of the areas that is affected is the ability to sequence things And so here I am spanking him for disobeying me when the reality is he couldn't remember what he was supposed to do next. You talk about repenting so you learn to do things differently. Go put your pajamas on. Period. Now go brush your teeth. Period. You just learn to do... You have to learn to think like they think. And so, one night, um, Alex was being particularly Ill, irritating to absolutely everyone in the house. He's just... He's, he's magical, Okay. <laughs> And um, so he then begins focusing all of his irritating energy against his mother, which is what he always did. Ariel responded sharply. Things escalated quickly. Then I am responsible for him speaking disrespectfully to his mother, and so uh, with incredible um, astute wisdom, I intervened and said, go to your room. And about an hour later, I realize I don't hear anything. I get up. I walk in the back room. There's Alex sitting on the floor, and there's Ariel sitting on the floor, and they are both weeping. And so, again, with the, all the incredible insight of a biblical counselor and a pastor, I say, is everything Okay. <laughs> and Ariel, at that point, says to Alex, "Why don't you tell your dad what you just told me?" And he was 13 when this happened. And Alex, through tears—understand, the kid never cried. Alex, through tears, said, "I asked mom why my birth mom didn't want me." I didn't think that he thought about stuff like that. I mean, he plays sports. He's got everything he needs. He's happy. He's, he thought about that all the time. And so for the first time at age 13, I explained to him the background to him coming into our home and talked to him about God's grace and talked to him that, and told him that his birth mom did want him but she was unable to take care of him that she loved him and that we loved him at that point I began to realize why is it that things always escalate between Alex and Ariel and then I asked Alex a question he's 13 it never dawned on me to ask this question I asked him Why do you have such a hard time with your mom? And he burst into tears and he said, Because I've always wondered if she didn't want me to. Mm -hmm. So, try to think like they think. Ask yourself, what, what are they thinking right now? Put on a heart of compassion. We'll finish this in in the morning and um, we'll have time tomorrow for questions and discussion and all that. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that you adopted us and uh, we certainly haven't been model children and yet you're patient and you love us and we pray that you would cause that grace and love to flow out of our lives Into the hearts and lives of our children, especially those that we've adopted. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would use this to help us all. In Jesus' name, amen. Copyright 2013, IBCD, all rights reserved. More free audios can be found on our website at www.ibcd.org.